Thing. It's going to follow you. Somebody gave it to me, and I passed it to you back in the car. It could look like someone you know, or it could be a stranger in a crowd. Whatever helps it get close to you. It can look like anyone, but there's only one of it. Hey guys, welcome back to Spooky Tuesday, a weekly podcast where we're breaking down all of our favorite slashers, thrillers, monster movies, and black comedies on the new scariest day of the week. I'm Sydney Thompson. I'm Monica Height. And I'm Chelsea Duff. And today we're talking about the 2014 killer film, honestly, uh, It Follows. That's what it's called. And... <laughs> In case you didn't know what it's about, I'm just going to do this now so we don't forget. The IMDb little thingy for this movie is a young woman is followed by an unknown supernatural force after a sexual encounter. And let me just say that I really appreciate this little IMDb synopsis or whatever for not giving anything away. It's beautiful. Not as snappy as the Mad Stabber's Beat, but <laughs> it does leave you knowing nothing. And that's what everyone should, that's where you should be when you go into this movie. You should not know what's going to come at you, in my opinion. Is that true, though? Because I didn't know anything going into this movie. I told you guys last time, hadn't seen it. I always confuse it with Let the Right One In. I was like, I don't think it's a vampire movie. I would be surprised if it was a vampire movie. Pulled it up to watch, um, saw that description, and immediately was like sexually transmitted ghost. <laughs> well, yeah, you find that out in like the first twenty minutes. If you watch the trailer, it's pretty clear, like clear right. that it's but something I, like doesn't like get into how spooky it is. You know, sure, it's, it's- sure, sure, sure. And <laughs> I appreciate that, but as someone who was instructed to go in blind and was trying to go in blind and hadn't watched a trailer. Um, my first note that I took was, oh, well, I'm pretty sure the prime summary just told me that is a sexually transmitted spooky. So, so much for going in blind. And that was in fact what this, this movie is. So, I mean, they, they nailed it, but also I, I wish my eyes had not immediately read the words presented to me before I clicked any buttons. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, in the, from what I've read and I read a bunch of articles about this movie and, um, apparently like the advertising leading up to it because I didn't see it when it came out I saw it a few years later um was just like very elusive and it was just like it shows that there's some sort of sex act that occurs and then spooky things that follow it you know so that's kind of the vibe that's, that's all you true. know <laughs> and, and I think one thing that this movie had going for it at least based on what I read in some articles and what I saw on IMDb is that um I think it, I think technically it's like theatrical release was in 2015, but it came out at 2014 Cannes Film Festival. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's another one of those where like the, the premiere year is weird. If you heard Monica say 2014, you're like, no, it's not. Yes, it is, but it's funky. <laughs> um, but 
there was like a long whisper campaign almost of like people who had seen it at Cannes and, and, and a growing organic buzz surrounding this movie that I think was mm-hmm. more powerful than any marketing that they really did. Um, which is always interesting when, when you have the word of mouth because originally this film was supposed to be um, like partly theatrical and part video on demand or whatever VOD stands for, don't recall. Um, and then because that like premiere theatrical weekend did so well, they decided to do an entirely theatrical release um, and they kind of like scraped and adjusted their plans. So, so it, it definitely did a lot better than they were expecting and when we get to this part later you'll see that like critics fucking love this movie oh yeah Um, (laughs) it's it's truly a critical darling um in terms of audiences they had like a more measured reaction but what did you guys think that the first time that you saw it because I watched it earlier today like it's still pretty fresh for me I had enough time to read IMDb find some articles to bounce thoughts off of but I haven't really had time to digest it you guys saw it a few years ago um and then I know you both watched it the other day so so give me some some of your initial responses and then the way that it sat with you yeah Sydney how did you feel after we watched it together (laughs) because we watched it the first time together (laughs) so the first time I saw this movie uh it was 2017 monica (laughs) me and monica's boyfriend adam went to a fly low thundercat concert at the hollywood forever cemetery and then afterwards that was the day i peed on fly low's pee i'll explain that later (laughs) (laughs) yeah anyway (laughs) then after that amazing concert we were like let's go back to monica's house and watch a horror movie and um makes sense post game you know smoke a little smoke you know drink a little drink and (laughs) i lived we watched the movie you know it was creepy it's not i don't think this movie is scary but it is like incredibly unsettling like everything about this movie is like designed to make you feel uncomfortable Mm -hmm. and i for whatever reason like couldn't get an uber and so my dumbass was like, I'm a walk home. No, from- I fucking forgot you did this. Yeah. So I walked uh, from Franklin Village in Los Angeles to Thai Town in Los Angeles, which is only about a mile away. But, you know, it was 1130. <laughs> it was 1130 on like a Saturday. And I was just like relaxing. Con- <laughs> I was totally con- legal ways. In- in California, it definitely was legal. Uh, <laughs> convinced that somebody was following me home, and I was like having a panic attack on the phone. I'm just like, it's coming after it me. <laughs> That's fucking terrifying. I can't believe you did that, and I knew that. You did that. Oh my god! Yeah, I sometimes mean, I don't make great decisions, but you know, I survived. Sometimes, I mean. <laughs> I but it's so exciting whenever I learn something about your life. I was saying that to you the other day. Anytime you give me like a little morsel, it's always such a surprising delight. Every there's always more to know. You know what I mean? It's it's such a gift to be your friend. <laughs> a gift that just keeps on giving. It truly is a gift. And also, like, I feel that vibe where you're just like, you know, nothing can hurt me 
everybody else gets killed on their walks home, but not me. One time I walked from the Hollywood Tower back to my apartment and I sat on the side of the road at three in the morning by myself for like 40 minutes, just like pondering. And I was like, this is the worst decision I've ever made, but nothing fucking happened and it was fucking fine. So whatever. But God complex prevails. Not not a God complex. Just like we give off big final girl energy. Okay. Like we're oh, going to yes. survive. <laughs> Great reframe. Incredible reframe. A beautiful reframe. Thank you, Sydney. And no thank you, Chelsea, for that mean read. <laughs> I didn't mean it to be mean because I also have one. <laughs> but yeah, I, I remember being deeply unsettled by this the first time I ever, um, watched it with Sid and then also deeply unsettled by her walk home experience. But, um, I watched this movie actually like minutes before we recorded the what lies beneath episode. And so like, I was trying to think about Harrison Ford during that episode, but I was like <gasps> about this movie. Cause like Sydney's absolutely right. It's just so fucking unsettling. Like there's also some like jump scary parts that like will really freak you out. Um, but like just the concept is, is just a, a beautiful concept. You know, it's something that you're always scared of as a woman, as any person walking alone at night, like you, you second guess if that person has been following you for too long or, or like, you know, if you've seen that person before, even like people's cars following you down the street, which happens a lot in LA. I love that part. Um, like, so it, it taps into a fear that you already have, and then it makes it so much fucking worse because <laughs> it's like an evil demon. Oh, God, it's such a good concept. But what, what did you feel when you watched it going in mostly blind, Chelsea? Um, I did have a little jumpy jump at one moment um, after the whole scene with Hugh was resolved and the police and blah, blah, blah. Um, and, and they discovered um, that he had used a fake name to rent a house in the city, which is a whole other level of fucked up um, to, to process in that beginning scene. But there's that moment where like the ball slams against um, Jay's window, Jamie's window, Jay, Jamie, whatever. Um, yeah, yeah. And um, I read, I don't remember if it was in an article or if it was um, on IMDb. Oh, it's on IMDb um, that says a ball seems to follow the curse throughout the entire movie, blah, blah, blah. So the ball thing, I guess, is actually sort of important um, and that it sort of guides you. I don't think it's it's meant to actually have anything to do with the curse, if you want to call it a curse within the film itself. I think it's just sort of meant to be a, a signal to the audience in its own way like pay attention um mm -hmm. but that's the only moment that really like scared me um but 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 you're right I think this movie is really unsettling in a way where they explicitly say it to you multiple different times in this movie especially Yara like reading off her little friend fiction oh whatever yeah that um, well, we'll get into that in a sec. <laughs> yeah, but there's like multiple quotes in this movie. Um, maybe the poem that the teacher's reading at one point, two different things that Yara are reading that basically say like, 
the the fear is not in what's happening the fear is knowing that something is going to happen and you have to wait for it to happen Mm -hmm. um which is so much of the movie and is also frankly the end of the movie you know what I mean um the way I I don't want to say too much just yet although again (laughs) yeah although again you know you know the way that we operate on this podcast but the way that it ends is it leaves you thinking and processing still rather than giving you like a nicely packaged little present of a movie um Mm. and and it still leaves you with that kind of lingering you're waiting for something to happen um in a way that I think is really smart in terms of the ending but but it is also in a way that that stays with you um generally speaking where you know, something's not happening to me right now, but in a sense, I could be waiting for something bad to happen. Something could always be hanging over your head, even if you're feeling safe in the moment, even if you're doing great right now. So that um, is a smart, scary, shitty, sucks concept. (laughs) The demon is anxiety itself. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Personified. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the yeah. STD, the sexually transmitted demon. Mm-hmm. That's what it is. <laughs> um, but I mean, this movie just packs a punch like from the very beginning. Like the, I had forgotten completely the opening scene for this movie and it's just so fucking good. Like you have no idea what's going on unless you read the prime description in which case shit Uh, (laughs) but like it's just this girl and she runs out in the street in like pajamas and high heels which is an exciting outfit and um she's freaking out everyone's like neighbors are asking her if she's okay but there's nothing around to provoke her and you know you find she runs back inside grabs car keys and just starts driving and you're like what the fuck is going on you have no idea and she drives to the beach and she she's just sitting on the beach in terrible fear, fear, calls her dad or gets a call from her dad and is like, I love you so much. Just know that I love you. And then it cuts to the next morning and her leg is backwards and the other leg is broken in half and she's just absolutely a crumpled corpse on the beach. And it's just a goddamn slap in the face that lets you know, oh shit, even though this movie is atmospheric and slow paced, it's still going to slap you a few times. Jesus. <laughs> I read somewhere that uh, the color red in this movie yeah. means that like the it is somewhere close. I so... call it the sex ghost. <laughs> the sexy ghost or I mean, maybe sometimes, but mostly just the sex ghost. Uh, I like but- it as a demon for me. I got I got big demon energy. Okay. <laughs> this movie is so there's so many references to Halloween in this mm-hmm. movie. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the, some the- Nightmare on Elm Street too. Yeah, like this is a clear reference to a clear reference, but like actually though, but actually, <laughs> actually. like. The music in this movie, I think, really helps set the, like, spooky, creepy. It's very synth, very John Carpenter. The first person killed in this movie is named Annie, which is the first girl killed on Halloween. Jay's real name is Jamie, which is an homage to Jamie Lee Curtis, star of Halloween. And she has a sister named Kelly, which, shocker, Jamie Lee Curtis also has a sister named Kelly. (laughs) 
Wow, yeah. and, the puzzle pieces. The and, pieces are all there. And the star is just the creepy person like omnisly walking towards you, which big Michael Myers vibes. Just creepily walking yeah. towards true. you. Very true. But totally, I hear what you're saying, Monica, as well. I mean, IMDb specifically was like the director, David Robert Mitchell, cited George A. Romero and John Carpenter as major influences. Obviously, John Carpenter of Halloween, George A. Romero of uh, I think Night of the Living Dead and other things as well, but but lots of zombie content. Um, but I think the Nightmare on Elm Street parallel really comes in in that like it's not hard to protect yourself from the monster, but what's hard is to um, keep it up forever. You know what I mean? In Nightmare on Elm Street, you just don't fall asleep. But eventually at some point you have to sleep. Eventually at some point. In this movie, it's not hard to run away from your little sex ghost, but at some point, do you stop running? You know what I mean? Can you run your entire life? It's, It's a waiting game. Exactly. And that's like that quote you were just talking about, like, you know, that something is going to happen, probably, like, it's pretty much inevitable. And so like this, this girl in the opening scene, she knows it's coming for her, and it's never going to stop coming for her. So she just waits for it to happen. So it's done. Like, that's the choice that she made, because the anxiety of the the monster coming for her, the demon coming for her was too, too much. But yeah, also like sleep is is also the enemy here. You have to sleep and then you're usually in one place if you're asleep, unless you just get on a train. But then if the demon gets on that same train, you're fucked. Damn, that theory's out. I've been thinking of a lot of ways to get away from it. You got to <laughs> drive really fast to the train first. And then once you've taken the train, then you can get on a plane. I don't know. I was like coming up with ideas as I was watching this movie because I almost want to discuss this concept more than the, the movie itself um but a lot of my ideas the director thwarted in interviews um where i was like if if you hop on a plane to another country have sex with somebody in another country they hop on a plane to a different country have sex with somebody like if you're if you're continent hopping like if you're crossing oceans you know what i mean does it have to walk across the bottom of the ocean because that's going to take a long time baby um but then the director was like it it could get on a plane theoretically and i have follow-up questions about that because i think that is also complicated but if it walks into the cargo hold well, but it, it does take up physical space. You know what I mean? And planes don't yeah. have a lot of physical space, but the cargo hold absolutely has a lot of empty space and would be presumably very easy for an invisible no, being yeah. to and stroll right into. Because See, as Hugh said, it is slow, but it's not stupid. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Which also, I just want to say something on that real quick. I was looking for articles and I found one vulture interview with quentin tarantino that's what about i was just how gonna bring up yeah that's and literally what like, i was just about blah, to bring blah, blah. up and i was like shut up quentin tarantino go ahead no that's i, I agree with say, him quentin no. you do yes i agree with oh, him excuse, because excuse me okay not everything that he said like i don't like he said there should be more feet shots in this movie and you went that one i don't know yeah, I'm that, sure he was thinking that, was that joke, the whole but. time, but you know, no, but the, the rules don't make sense because like, I agree. The concept of this film is that like, no matter what, it's walking towards you. It's walking slowly. It's walking towards you. It can look like anyone. It can look like someone, you know, which is so fucked up. It's oftentimes a nude lady. I don't know why that's a thing that, that, that that's always was fun. Does she know that nude lady? I don't think so. 
One thing that I noticed is most, they're all in pajamas. So like, I'm guessing like maybe these people sleep in the nude. So maybe that's why they're nude. But like most of these people are like in lounges sleepwear. Maybe some of them are people who have died from the demon before. Yeah, I mean, and I don't remember, again, article or IMDb, couldn't tell you. I think IMDb, but a lot of the people that we see being uh, what IMDb calls the entity, sex ghost, whatever, um, are actors we've already seen within this movie. So like the one that gets Greg looks like Greg's mom. And like, we Mm. see the girl Annie from the beginning at some point. And like um, the, the creepy little boy one is one of uh, Jay's neighbors who's spying on her in the beginning. So a lot of them are like folded in. And so I think the ones um, like the, the the tall guy, tall, tall Annabelle's cousin, um, Uh, he could have been a past somebody in, in the line of succession. You know what I mean? Um, and so it's, it's, I think that's a really interesting point. They could be in pajamas. Maybe they were sleeping when it caught up to them. Um, is when you're most vulnerable. And it also goes back to that whole concept, like of relating this to nightmare on Elm street. There's, um, that idea that like every face that you ever see in your dreams is someone that you've like seen, you've seen that face before. Like if it's like a extra in a TV show or like a person you just passed by on the street, like your face, your brain can't make up a face. So it like caches them or something. So I like that. Cause it's kind of like that same idea. If it was people that you've seen before, it could just be like, that, that weird creepy granny like oh maybe she saw that granny one time 20 years ago and now she's coming back as as the demon now I don't know I like that concept but um <laughs> okay on the Quentin Tarantino yeah. of it all I will say he had one point I think um when he said um with with the rule breaking I think a lot of it can be explained away in terms of the fact that like the characters can only test the rules so much to confirm what they think is true or what someone has told them is that doesn't necessarily mean they're right. Um, mm-hmm. The only one that seems to suggest was done for dramatic effect is when Hugh, um, Jeff, Hugh, and Jay are on their date in the beginning and they're playing their trade game, which I thought was a really interesting device to get you to start like working on spotting people in the background and to start yeah. observing your surroundings I thought that, that was, was really, really um, smart and a fun date game <laughs> yeah um but so they start to play this game where you look around and you inside of your brain pick somebody you would want to swap lives with and then your little buddy um has to look around and they have two chances to guess who you picked and why um and so they're playing this game and Jay has picked someone to trade with and Hugh Jeff is looking around to see who it might be and he guesses somebody that Jay doesn't see um, and is looking in the exact same direction and just doesn't see somebody there. And then you realize later on, essentially, once you've put the pieces together, it's because um, it was the entity that Hugh was seeing. Um, and that's why Jay couldn't see it yet because they hadn't smashed um, at that time. And presumably that person was just like standing there and not actively walking towards them mm-hmm. um and we don't really s- well I was gonna say we don't really see that at any other point in the movie but that's not true because there is that scene later on 
when Jay's in the car and they're driving away and there's the old dude standing on the roof. So I would almost yeah, argue out that like, on the roof. dick out on the roof. Um, out. <laughs> but I think when a character says like, it will always be walking towards you, that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be in motion every second of every day. It doesn't mean it yeah. can't stand still. It's just that like, why, why would it for the most part? Um, and so uh, in that moment, there's not just, really a reason that it would be standing still. So, so one point for one, one point for Quentin Tarantino there, but the rest I think can just be explained away as like the rules that the characters are giving us are not necessarily going to be the reality of what the rules are. I just did. I just didn't like the, I agreed with Quentin Tarantino with the big pool scene where all of a sudden it was like throwing shit at, at her and trying to electrocute her and wouldn't go in the water and all this stuff. And but it does, don't you think of, that folds into the it's not stupid? You know what I mean? Like it's not going to walk into this obvious trap. I don't think it can die. So I don't think that it, I don't think it can die at all. Like I, okay, well, I, I should save this till, till later, but I read an article and I was like, wow, I, I, <laughs> I read the ending of this movie completely differently than I guess every, like not everyone else, oh. but most other people did. Cause I never thought that it died I, when it, when the blood filled up the pool, I was like, it's still not dead. There's no way that it's dead. Cause it got shot in the neck before and it didn't fucking die. And so, yeah, I don't know. I misread the whole rest of it after that, but we'll get to that later. But I just I just like the idea of the stalking more than I like it being like a Aggressive. very beefy, strong person who can eat things into a pool. You know, that wasn't as spooky for me. But what were you going to say, Sydney? So when you were talking about how like it would like she was just standing there or like the guy or the naked the dick out guy on the roof dick out on the roof dick out on the roof um chelsea was talking about how like one of the big jump scares of this movie is when the red ball gets thrown at the window Mm -hmm. is and you see it's the little boy is that the monster because we see um constantly like throughout this movie like it can't go in it's trying it like breaks glass so I'm like did it try and throw the ball but the ball didn't break the window that's what I was thinking for that moment too because later on it does become the kid um and that part is so fucking spooky when it's like broken through the bottom panel of that wooden door and then she like gets up close to see if it's still there which I was like never no don't do not go up to the hole. Obviously, it's going to come through the hole. <laughs> um, and then it's there, the fucking girl. demon version of that little shit kid uh. who watches her in the pool. Like, he already sucked because he was being creepy and watching her as she had a fun time in her above-ground pool. But now he's a fucking demon. <laughs> okay, that's a really interesting point, though, Um, because I, I didn't think that at all I thought it was just kind of like a jump scare moment but also with the ball signifying for IMDB the curse like that definitely is a really interesting uh point I it also kind of raises a question that I have which is um okay so the the setup aside from the Annie intro which is sort of just divorced from the rest of the movie but but sort of sets up the lore um to some some degree Oh, I ahead. feel like it is connected because I feel, okay, what's the boyfriend's name here? Hugh? Hugh. Jeff? Uh, yeah, so I know that he was in town 
I don't know what the timeline is. So I don't know when Annie dies versus when the beginning of the movie starts. I don't think we get any dates or anything with that. But my read on it was he was so surprised to see the woman in the yellow dress and to be stalked. And he was willing to be Ah, in a movie theater where you're sitting for two hours. In my mind, he, he had maybe already passed it on to the girl and was in a different town, changed his name because like she might be pissed or the, maybe he also tied her up to tell her about what was going on, similar type of thing. And so maybe he thought he was in the clear, but then Annie is dead now. And so the monsters come to get him again. That's how I read it, but I don't know if that's true. <laughs> well, I like that. Um, I def- I haven't seen anything um, that, that also said that. So if you are the the first person to have that thought. I think it's a very smart thought. Um, I'm probably not. But also (laughs) if there are other people who've had that thought, then that verifies that you're on the right track. You did a good job. Um, But regardless, I think that that's a really interesting concept, both for how it fits in and also you're right, why he would be so comfortable, why he would be so surprised. Um, I think there there could be something to work out with why he's okay to be at home later other than I guess if he thought Annie was the one who was going to come after him she's dead now um but um why did why why did I bring that up um oh you're setting the stage for the film oh yes (laughs) (laughs) so so he Hugh um quotes quotes Hugh takes Jay on this date they go to the movies um I, I don't remember if it's this, it's not the same night, I don't think, but they meet up again. They smash in a random car. Um, and then it's his like, car. <laughs> sh- sure, but it's like, sorry, I didn't mean a random car. I meant a random They just spot. fanned a car. Found that a would car, be wild. That would be. open the door. <laughs> just bang. Passion. No, this, this kind of felt planned. And I think her sister yeah. had asked her early in the movie, like, you gonna smash? And she was like, maybe, I don't know. Um, but so they smash in a car in this like random area by what may or may not be an abandoned apartment complex parking lot something it looks different from the outside than how it looks on the inside um so I'm not sure what what the deal is but while they're outside after they smash he's like oh let me just do a little clear reference to what lies beneath and I'll put a little cloth over your mouth with some chemicals on it um this one unlike the clip from csi that sydney shared on our instagram story this week um was not halophane a dissociative agent but was in fact probably chloroform um, because it, it knocked her out she didn't just freeze within her body or whatever but um when she wakes up oh sorry before we move past it i just really love that scene and that shot as like right after they've had the coitus um, and she's like in her cute little lingerie lying on the seat and she's like talking about like high school right and what she thought life would be like and all this stuff and she's playing with the flower and you're just seeing her hand glance over the flower and you're just completely mesmerized by this monologue that she's having and then you see him like crawl in and it looks like and he kisses her back and so it looks like it's going to be some cute thing and you're just completely caught unawares by the chloroform rag over the mouth I mean I'd seen it before so I knew it was coming but I forgot all the lead up to it it's just like that's the the part of this movie that I really really like is how like 
atmospheric it is. Um, this director like doesn't direct this like any other horror movie I've really seen. Like in the interim scenes, just the way it's shot, it's like dreamy. That's how how people refer to it and i i don't know i just i think it makes the scares all the more affecting because it's like out of nowhere in a different way than a jump scare would be i was watching this movie with another person when i did a rewatch and there's a really funny scene where jay's sister um and her friends are like sitting there and one of her friends lets out this like really funny fart joke and then it oh i have it <laughs> I wrote down the fart joke because it's so amazing. She goes, I had, I have an idea. And Paul's like, what? And she lifts up her ass and lets out this huge fart. And then she says, it got away. (laughs) But so like, and then the next shot is Jay getting ready for, you know, this date at the movie theater with Hugh. And uh, the guy I was watching, it was just like, I love the like, the shots and the colors and how it's all like, and it's foggy and it's like really atmospheric. And I'm just like, (laughs) fart joke. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. You know what? This movie has it all. It's got the atmosphere. It's got the fart jokes. It's got dicks 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 on a route. (laughs) Yeah. What more could you want? (laughs) So true, Bestie. Um, But yeah, I think- you're right. The chloroform moment is really surprising because I even wrote in my notes, like, what is he getting from his trunk? And I already, based on the the little IMDb summary, was like, this guy is going to give her the sex ghost and I hate that for her. Like, he's got bad judgment, blah, blah, blah. I already had all these feelings, but I still didn't expect him to um, communicate what was happening in exactly the way he did, which was to knock her out with chloroform and bind her to a wheelchair maybe yep. it seemed yep. like it's a wheelchair. um <laughs> and then drop a, a ton of exposition on her um as the naked woman who apparently at that moment is his mom from later in the movie so that's its oh, own level of yeah, disturbing I, um, I did not realize that yeah but the naked woman is walking towards them and he says like you can get rid of it okay just sleep with someone as soon as you can just pass it along if it kills you it'll come after me do you understand so he's like doing this terrible thing to her but also i think in his brain trying to do it in the most compassionate way possible where he's like I am doing this so you don't he's horrifying to have sex with somebody and then have them knock you out and then wake up bound by them um in a threatening situation you know what I mean obviously horrifying but to him he's being like I'm wasting no time and making you understand the gravity of this situation and what your next steps need to be to keep both of us safe um, because I'm not safe unless you're safe and you're not safe unless you keep it moving down the chain. Um, and, and unfortunately gotta, gotta save my life before I, uh, yeah. prioritize yours. Well, little babe. Um, but so that's how, how it starts. Um, and, and now we've had so many tangents. I don't, I don't remember again why why I was setting no we're that up. we're just setting the scene but like that scene I want to talk about it because like it's a obviously it's really fucked up what he did but also like I was watching it and I was like man how else is he gonna get her to believe this crazy shit I like he could have done it a little bit nicer but like having her actually see it and then that's kind of really 
like that's driven home that like you need to see it to believe it um with uh greg later on because Mm -hmm. is he even though he's there when an attack occurs and the rest of the friend group can see that like even though they can't see the entity they can't see the sex ghost they can see that some shit is going down like he still doesn't believe it and because he doesn't believe it he gets got you know what i mean so like the stakes are fucking high for the person you pass it on to and, and like i don't know it was still fucked up but i was like you know what? Like, it's a tough situation. <laughs> gotta it sure, gotta it sure show is. her the ghost. <laughs> but but you're right. And I think I remembered that one of the reasons I was bringing that up, and I mean, maybe somebody will listen back to this episode later and be like, those two thoughts don't connect. So that she's wrong. Um, but a thought that I am having now okay. is um, <laughs> that if Annie was the first person he passed it along to and he thought he was okay and that he had passed it along and that he had at least bought more of a a buffer Mm. and some time it makes sense that he has put enough thought into how to do this again um and also also now I'm one of the other thoughts that I had earlier which is point to Quentin Tarantino um wherever they are probably not that far away um and that it takes like several days to get back to her again is is a question in terms of this sex coast like motivations its timeline its speed um part of the his his point and your point was that um it's like aggressive at the end throwing electronics into the pool as opposed to just calmly walking towards Mm -hmm. um I think you could possibly make the argument that maybe it gets frustrated after a while um maybe it 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 knows its purpose you know what I mean and and who knows maybe there is some larger lore that we don't get within the scope of this movie because this movie hands to us um these characters experiences rather than any kind of like spooky origin you know what I mean this is not a sinister kind of movie where they're going to be like here's the exact mythology that we're dealing with it's just like not that kind of film um which which also is really interesting yeah to just be like you have the scope of yeah you have the scope of the characters experiences and that's all that you get um but maybe maybe it does get frustrated because the longer it takes to get to you the longer it has to wait to get to the next person and, and maybe this entity's like overall goal is to get back to patient zero whoever that may be at any given time surviving um so so i'm but i'm willing to anything else to eat right but i mean it's gotta <laughs> be a long line you know what i mean yeah, yeah, um yeah. Unless it's not in its best interest to get back to number one, because then it too shall die of starvation. Maybe. Who knows? Um, no, maybe no it just <laughs> starts over, because also it it do be fucking. Because um, there's also that whole element where it's like sexually transmitted, but um, when it kills Annie, I God, I sure hope it doesn't fuck her to death based on what happened with her legs. But with Greg, it sure does seem to fuck him to death. Um, and so there's that whole In, element oh, as as well that's really strange yeah. that I don't I forgot grasp. that it, it was like fucking him but it was like it was his mom it was at his that mom. moment and she had a tit out like his titty out mom was like Ugh. but he also should have like, known when her titty was out that that wasn't mom 
mom his mom, tits in a robe well who, who knows what his mom does though maybe she does get her tits out on the rug maybe she's like well, this is a naked household some households are just naked also like do we know how old this sex demon is no and i also think it's so interesting that everyone we see for the most part other than the way that it manifests which raises some questions um but everyone that we know that's been affected is a teenager and so it it raises this question are are none of these teenagers in toxic relationships with older men you know what i mean like or are those, those older men are feeding it back into the the teenager population pool like what's going on why isn't it branching out at all yeah (laughs) it's really interesting I just had this idea where like if 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 the sex demon needs to have these people like fucking to survive because it needs to have more bodies to feed on eventually right because like like the time goes in both directions like it has to keep they need to keep passing it on to survive but then those people who have passed it before will eventually die you know depending on their age sooner rather than later um and so like this this monster maybe is extra pissed at the girl because like she is not so immediately like determined to pass it on to someone else like she doesn't want to do that even when she has the opportunity with those broskies on the speedboat she still doesn't do it that really confused me at first because she even swims out well, there and i'm like girl fuck one of those guys you'll never see him again but well, you know but, what but that shows like i think like this movie shows us like a very like how jay handles it versus how hugh slash jeff handled it yeah where he you know isolated himself like rented like a really sketchy like rundown house like very isolated like passed this on to Jay without her consent without anything like kept this like to himself and Jay told her friends about it like was talking about it like thought like swam out they swam out to the guys in the boat and was like I can just do this but then uh, you know she didn't so or maybe or in my head, I was like, what if she did and they just all died? <laughs> IMDb says it is ambiguous on purpose to go with the ambiguous nature of the film, but I personally don't think that she did. I don't yeah. think she did. I don't she think she did crying. either. Yeah. I thought and- at first she was crying because she did do it, but then I was like, no, she was crying because she didn't do it and she's scared. That's but why then think, it, that's what I think was happening. But then it raises the question, like if she had a gangbang with those three guys, like <gasps> okay. which which one gets whoever it? the first one? The well, first one. okay. Here's the but thing. What happens if it is a lovely bisexual gangbang and everybody's just fucking each other and you're like, who gets it? That is okay, a yeah. question that I have because um at first, not to segment jump, but at first I was like is this does this have to be like penetrative heteronormative sex and then the director said no it can be gay but also then when you talk about um two women having sex and or two men having sex or any two people having sex people can define that in a lot of different ways but specifically within the gay community and specifically within um the women loving women community or or sapphic community or or whatever term you're most comfortable with um 
there's a lot of of discourse around how it doesn't have to be penetrative sex to be sex um and so it raises the question of like if any sex act can communicate it or if it's a if it does have to be like one body to another um which not to get terribly graphic um but say that it only requires like some level of penetration and it doesn't have to be heteronormative pnv penetration if you're finger banging two people at once simultaneously you know what i mean do they both get it then or is it like down to the millisecond of of i think it's whoever's first you know i think it's got to be bit to bit Bits to bits. But then would um, just a, some simple humping do it? You know what I mean? Some drumping? Like some like dry humping? I've got, yes. I've Well, bits dry humping implies Nude. the existence of, of clothes. You know what I mean? No clothes. Um, Nude humping. Some bits frottage. Um, Does mutual masturbation count? No. <laughs> bits to bits. <laughs> Unfortunately, for lesbians, it's only transferred through scissoring, unfortunately. (laughs) So. Or fortunately, maybe. Maybe that's very fortunate, fortunate, except for whoever is going to be chased for the rest of their life. Um, (laughs) But yeah, I had had questions about that that remained unanswered. Although the director did say it can be gay. It absolutely can be gay, which, you know, great. (laughs) I love inclusive horror. Um. Let's talk about the two, besides Hugh, the two other guys in this movie, which is Greg and Paul. His name's Paul, right? Like sweet, Paul. sweet baby Paul. Sweet baby Paul. Paul. We what a little infant baby boy. <laughs> we learned that Paul and Jay have some history because they had a kiss, a little innocent smooch smooch back in the day but then he also went around and kissed jay's sister kelly so what you know like Paul a, a little baby slut too a big hoe good for him, good for him. Yeah. um but, but don't do that with sisters but anyway he was young Continue. but it's really interesting <laughs> where greg is the neighbor who um is hot yes he's hot but when we see um this had to be said when Jay gets dumped back at her house after being chloroformed by Hugh and like explain the monster, we see Jay and his mom or not Jay, uh, Greg and his mom, like looking out the street and being like, Oh, these people, like they're such a mess or there's something like that. And then, but you see Paul, he's there with his sister. He's there. He wants to help he you know she's nervous he stays to be like oh i'll protect you bitch from what like he is baby he cannot but i love him for wanting to try yeah but then we see um like as it continues on um they they're running from this monster they are explain they find hugh they he explains everything and Greg sees with his eyes like shit happening and still doesn't fully believe her about like what is going on and Paul is just like I don't know if I believe you but like I am here for you like I'm gonna come up and help you with these things and so Paul believes her like because he firsthand like before 
for that, he just loves her. And so he will, he's like, in ghosts, I believe in ghosts, baby. Whatever you say goes. <laughs> like, because he's loyal. And that's what we're looking for. If Sydney says the host, the house is haunted, you believe her. Okay, you believe we just the house had is the haunted. episode. So Paul's already in it, but then <laughs> when they're on the beach after like, okay, I'll, I'll say this. Greg is a down bitch. We give him props for being like, yeah, I'll drive you in my car wherever the fuck you want to go. Cool. That's great. Especially because he doesn't believe what's going on at all. Even when, like I said earlier, he sees kind of what's happening, but he was off pissing in the bushes. So he doesn't see explicitly firsthand when the, the, the demon the sex ghost comes up behind jay on the beach and pulls her hair that was one of the scariest moments of this movie but paul doesn't have the liberty or even the opportunity really to have any more doubts after that because he gets absolutely yeeted by the ghost <laughs> he gets like knocked off his feet and flies 50 feet in the air oh and so yeah he's he he really gets it but he's still a little baby bean. And so Jay's not trying to give that to him. <laughs> no. And we see, you know, Greg and uh, Jay runs off after the tra traumatic beach scene and ends up in the hospital because she crashes her car. Yeah. And she crashes Greg's car. Greg's car. <laughs> but then. The corn. Oh, I love that scene because you could see the little corns flying over her windshield <laughs> <laughs> but while she's in the hospital which like has to be a really scary place to be if you have this like omnipresent like slow moving thing because like you are tied down like those nurses are gonna like doctors they're gonna make yeah. sure that you aren't going anywhere and so Hard she's to break out of a hospital she sleeps with greg and it's really interesting because it's like three days later, Greg's like, I haven't seen anything. And you don't know if, is he actually looking for anything? Like, or uh, you see like a brief, like flash of him with like a bunch of girls. Has he slept with somebody like right after? So maybe mm. he's bought some time and there's some deaths off screen <laughs> yet like maybe like that could be why nothing showed up at his house for three days and well, also they left the ghost they had driven really far away right to wherever that that was that they went to so yeah. maybe it just took him a long time to get, to get back. back he got thrown off the trail because they went to some hospital you know and um, also kind of what I mentioned earlier is that it seems like I don't remember the timeline exactly either or what they said, uh, but also based on some um, maybe an IMDb trivia or something. Again, I read later. It seems like it took a couple of days for Jay to have that first appearance as well, because um, after the whole cube chloroform debacle, um, I think other characters say something like she's just been hiding in her room for the most part. So it seems like there is 
maybe something of a grace period to some degree, like maybe when we first see the entity, when Hugh and Jay are in the parking garage, maybe it's not there for Jay yet because it, it hasn't fully uh, caught on to the transmission. Maybe it was primarily there for Hugh in that moment. And it has an adjustment period of three days. Who knows? Like maybe it took three days to start to go after Jay. And it also took three days to start to go after Greg, but they just don't, they don't know the rules because Jay was clued in so immediately by Hugh Jeff, um, that it seems like somehow Greg, I mean, Greg doesn't buy into it anyway. So Greg is not, is not really, he's like kind of aware maybe, but he's not, he's not on that level of paranoia and, and, and on high alert the way that Jay is, you know what I mean? Um, and even she doesn't doesn't notice some people at points in the movie. Um, so there's also like sometimes you miss things. You know what I mean? Maybe he's just the guy who's on the go. Um, but I do think that Greg a little bit gets a, a bad rap in some of the articles that I've seen um, where they're they they kind of talk about the the metaphor of of what this experience is um and i'll i'll loop back around to that later um but how it it is not consensual when hugh gives it to jay it is consensual when jay gives it to greg but greg doesn't have an appreciation for what he's signing on for yeah it is consensual when she gives it to paul paul absolutely has an appreciation of what he's signing on for um i think greg like you said he's a down bitch but there are I think some limits to that and I think he just didn't understand what he was I think on some level he was he was treating this symptom rather than the problem you know what I mean so he's like I'm doing what I can to make my my friend Jay feel better but I'm not trying to save her life because I don't really think that her life is in danger exactly he thinks well first of all yeah he thinks that like okay she's having a hard time and if she thinks this is gonna make her better and make everything better then I'll do this for her um which was confusing because he was kind of um I didn't expect that necessarily because he had been kind of flirting with her sister earlier too wasn't he or Um, or Yara maybe or there was Yara it was Yara it was Yara yeah Yeah, it's very confusing to me the relationships at play (laughs) yeah the main the the main idea and clear reference that I had after watching this movie is that Greg is to it follows as Glenn is to a nightmare on Elm Street Mm. Greg (laughs) is the Glenn literally and there's like like cinematic aspects of it that tie it in too like you know we're also frustrated with Glenn the entire time in nightmare on Elm Street because he just doesn't buy into it he's like okay sure I'll help you but like he doesn't like care enough to stay awake. He doesn't like listen to anything that um, Nancy tells him. Like he ne- he doesn't believe about this like this crazy man who comes and kills you in your dreams. And then he fucking dies in his bedroom in a tornado of blood. Excuse me, a geyser of blood. So, but this there's so many parallels to this because one, I think they look alike. I think that Greg looks like. 99 cent store version of Johnny Depp. Um, <laughs> a clear he's reference. Still hot. He's still hot, but yeah, it's a clear reference. Also, their houses are directly across the street from each other. Our protagonist's house and his house are right across the street from each other. And like, she doesn't like run in to tr- 
in in a nightmare on elm street nancy doesn't run into the house to try to stop it but, but like he has she sees it all go down from her room she knows what's going on so i just thought that was like a beautiful reference and that must have been intentional right it had to be intentional there's no way it wasn't intentional there's no <laughs> when other you way lay it out like that yeah i think i think that would be an awfully large coincidence to be a coincidence yeah it's just there it's like it's all there and it's just so sad that like she she chooses jay chooses greg to have sex with because as she says literally exactly in the movie she's like i thought that he could handle it i thought he'd be able to defend himself because he's like you know kind of a tough guy he's got a cool car um you know uh he gives off that vibe unlike paul who gives off little baby puppy protect him poor little thing vibes you know what i mean he doesn't seem like he can uh pack a punch in the same way um but you know being prepared is what's most important and greg was not prepared and so there you go he got he got got i also think though that it is um she had a different relationship with greg than she had with paul you know what i mean she she certainly had a sweeter more caring relationship with paul i think definitely yeah. there you can make the argument and she makes the argument that greg is more capable of taking on this task than paul is i think you can also make the argument that Greg has immediate resources at his disposal that Paul doesn't yes. have. Um, like, yes, to like, fucking pass it on. <laughs> yeah. To, well, to fucking pass it on. But but I I more meant like um, assuming his car is not completely totaled. He has a car that he can drive away from the hospital oh, immediately. And Paul doesn't have that. Um, <laughs> You're like literal tangible things. I was like, yeah, Greg is way more fuckable than Paul. And so he'll be fine <laughs> with passing it on. Um, <laughs> Well, you know, you can certainly make that argument too, because there is that whole other scene where Paul is considering passing it on and he's driving past all of these sex workers. And I kept being like, Paul, you better fucking not, or I will personally come into the movie and throttle you. Um, because that's really not fair. Um, but that aside, I also think like she was more willing to put Greg's life in danger than she was willing to put Paul's life in danger. Like Greg is is doing what he can and he's he's being a good friend but also it seems like to some degree i'm not saying he's a bad person but i think he's kind of a a scummier guy on some level you know what i mean um and and so i think she just like her her she would not have been as comfortable at that point in the movie with the responsibility of what passing it to paul would mean in a way that she was comfortable passing it on to greg who had resources, who seemed like he had a better ability to handle the situation and who would would better handle the moral weight of passing it on. Um, yeah. Because if Paul is not, not only if Paul can't defend himself, but if Paul can't emotionally, let alone whether he can pull, you know what I mean? But if he can't emotionally pass it on to somebody else, then it's like, he's going to get got, and then we're going to be right back to square one anyway. So you yeah. kind of need somebody who can pass it along the chain. If you really are out there prepared to protect yourself and also protect the people that came before you. Mm-hmm. Uh, poor Paul. <clears throat> poor, poor Greg, Greg though, also. Yeah. Poor Greg. He got fucked to death by a ghost version of his mom. But here's you know? the thing. That's messed that's- that's but it's also a, a Greg's own go. fault for not believing it. Believe her. 
Yeah. Believe her. I'm sorry. Like if I say something's happening, Sweet. like ghosty ghost wise, and you don't believe me and you get got, it's your own fault. You should have yeah, I mean, your own fault. <laughs> I think there there would be more room to argue a sympathetic reading of that perspective, being like, maybe he was on uh, guard for three days and then he was like, no, we're fine. We're in the clear. But he does explicitly say to uh, Christy at one point, like, what she thinks is happening isn't really what's happening. Um, so yeah. that is one of the few unambiguous parts of the movie where they really go, no, no, this is the deal. Um, no. So that, that does suck a little bit. He still didn't deserve uh, what happened. Would he have fared differently if he, if he followed the horror movie doctrine of like, believe the person who's having the paranormal experience? Um, but also I understand why, why he wouldn't and why he would take on what he felt was um, something that he was happy to do one article was like of course he takes the opportunity to fuck the hot blonde and I was like that's not what's happening here um but he saw something that he could do that he thought would help like alleviate the paranoia paranoia and the fear and the trauma that Jamie was dealing with um and he was willing to do that he just like like Glenn although I think Glenn is more of a shithead um but maybe I'm being unfair to Glenn in retrospect I think we shot on he Glenn was, a lot and I think it's deserved still. Okay, good. Um, I think he he wants to help and he's doing what is within his power to help. He didn't have a grasp of, of how high the stakes actually were. Yeah. Well, okay. I feel like we need to talk about the, the final chapter here of this film now um, because the, the, the last like action scene of this movie Um, there's just so many references here and like the fact that they go to like an old I don't know if it's an old broken down but like an old like pool hall or not pool hall fuck the fact that they go to an like old public pool really gave me Jennifer's body vibes like that is the energy that I was feeling I was like oh I love final showdown in a body of water And there's many a body of water in this film. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, but this uh, this plan that they had, like, I get it. The plan was okay. But also no, there the plan are was so bad. many ways for it to go wrong. So many ways. I even love that the director of this called uh-huh. it a Scooby-Doo plan. Yeah. Yeah. yeah like, they're like, the plan oh, itself. It. The plan itself. Um, at first I thought they were doing like a fear street, you know what I mean? Um, with, with fear street, part one, 1994, where they're like to break the curse, she has to die, but then we'll bring her back to life. Like that's what I thought they were doing in this moment. It's not. Um, but their plan is to, um, put Jay in the middle of a pool, have some electronics <laughs> plugged in, surround ancient electronics, you know, <laughs> electronics you've ever seen Um, and somehow what what was the plan to just get jay out of the water really really fast and then execute it yeah essentially yeah they were just like what will make this work (laughs) how could we possibly kill the entity our best bet is to lure the sex ghost into the water get jay out of the water throw in 47 toasters and hair dryers um and hope for the best 
and the answer uh, is electricity like okay yeah. <laughs> and and the director literally said in an interview it's the stupidest plan ever and he kind of is just like they're teenagers and they don't know things and they're a little dumb and so this is not necessarily a good horror movie plan but this is a plan realistic to what is within the character's ability to come up with which again I think is really interesting in terms of the whole movie being set to the scope of the character's experience rather than like an origin film you know what I mean um yeah. and so I think it makes sense that they do come up with something stupid that is never gonna work although perhaps you could argue it is a little narratively unsatisfying um, um yeah yeah <laughs> I thought but, but it doesn't but work this is where obviously. the movie like lose lost me a little bit like it got me back don't worry it got me back I felt good again toward at the end but like this scene was so long and it just like I I really agreed with the Tarantino article where it was just like why is it eating things now why does it do this now why can it be shot in the head now I don't understand like how can it die and 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 so did you guys think it died no no I didn't think it died either and I thought it got shot in the head earlier actually and you said it got shot in the neck and you're probably right yeah but I thought they like explicitly knew that it it couldn't survive being it or it would bounce back immediately from being shot in the head but they were just like well maybe I don't know but this maybe is what we the deal it is and we gotta it. <laughs> we gotta move forward with what we have anyway we gotta just try some throw some things at the wall see what sticks um this one didn't stick but but now we know um but yeah I didn't I didn't for a second think that uh the big bad was dealt with okay good yeah because I read this article okay well well before that I do want to say that like let's just take a moment to talk about how stupid it is to shoot at something that's invisible when you can (laughs) still see with your eyes that your friend Yara is directly where you're shooting and then you shoot her in the leg (laughs) I was like you guys you're just like that's still a gun (laughs) like you're still shooting a gun at your friend at this point but also like how fucked up is it that it takes the form of jay and kelly's dead dad in the final oh. thing oh yeah also and- the other earlier is it kelly <laughs> it's kelly it's okay kelly. <laughs> um but it takes the form of the dead dad and kelly is like what does it look like who does it look like and jay like would not say that it looks like their dead dad which <sighs> Um, parents are like nowhere besides oh Greg's God. mom. Yes. But, that's what um, Adam was saying. He's like, that's another Jess, one of those mom. movies where you're like, does yes. anyone have an adult? Well, that's and, a big know, horror thing. Yeah, a thing in horror, like parents hinder the plot. Okay, like yeah, we don't but, want them around. But like, I was reading something, and it was talking about how they think their dad, uh, committed suicide, and the mom is drinking and every time we do see the mom she is with some kind of alcohol bottle with her that's like that's what one of the reasons why she's like not present interesting damn yeah I mean I more and more sad that's so that's awesome on on IMDb it also said um pretty much whenever you see the mom she's like obscured in some way um like 
she's she's just this much off screen so you can't really see her face or like she's just this much wherever um that that she's not quite in frame um and i think on some level that is is part of the dreamscape of it all and they did a lot to very deliberately create this dreamscape atmosphere um by by making everybody's clothing really all over the place so that it's not clearly one time of year or one season and the technology like all the old hair dryers and stuff like that at the end all the technology throughout the film is really from a bunch of different eras yeah, um like annie has a cell phone in the beginning yeah there's a bunch of and different there's right. the future can't... clam thing like what yeah is whatever that? the clam is whatever. yeah it's, it's the clam it's the clam uh, kindle and yeah, it is and a it's... flashlight so <laughs> And it's like the cars are from all different times too. So he really, the director really tries to create this atmosphere that can't be tied to a specific time. Or a specific season because you or see the swimming. Season, in, uh, and, and it's based in Detroit, which I find very- Yeah, he does set it in a specific place, which is funny. Which, he says which I you'll do get find, one aspect of the setting. Which, but here's the thing too, because it's in Detroit and because we know like, what like all what happened in Detroit and we do see like a lot of dilapidated buildings and things like that that's like a, that's it, actually really smart it like doesn't like it's like okay like this has to be in a certain time otherwise Detroit would have been booming like it would have been popping until yeah fairly recently but I thought that was like really fascinating mm-hmm but I did write in my notes a billion different times where is the mom where is the mom where is um, she? so you know <laughs> But yeah, I, that that final battle was super frustrating. But yeah, the reason I was so confused was this article that I read was like, oh, they finally have sex after the big battle when they think they've killed the beast. And so they're having sex and it's not to pass on the, the sex ghost. It's just for love or something like that. And I was just like, no. <laughs> I is it because i well, think he he knows that oh he definitely knows he that's knows, why he's that's cruising why he sex workers yeah, he's cruising he's sex cru- workers but i think we see in like the final shot they're walking down the street together holding hands because at that point we kind of can also see that hugh could still see the monster and jay could still see the monster attacking greg so i I think once you've had it, you can yeah, see you can it still always. See it. Yeah. And so now her and Paul, hand in hand, are like doing it together. Like they're not alone in this situation. And you know it's the Which, monster because the monster's jacket has a little bit of red and the guy raking leaves is wearing a red shirt, which means monster the monster. Yeah, that you can see somebody walking that. behind them and you know again they're just kind of potentially delaying the inevitable um or or sharing that space together um and I think that is beautiful but also could have I don't know the director really really very purposefully made so much of this film ambiguous I Mm -hmm. I guess I hesitate to say whether this film could have benefited from making clear that they knew they were doing that you know what I mean um because 
that article that you said clearly thought that they were just celebrating being the big bad. Um, and I didn't think that that's what no. they were doing, but I was also like, well, why are they smashing now? Um, and, and um. yeah, I think just like sh- sharing that responsibility and experience is great, but also maybe Quentin Tarantino or possibly somebody else in a different article was also like, well, if they're going to smash anyway, why didn't they smash before the pool confrontation? And then two people would have been able to see the monster in that scene. And that would have been helpful. But I also think Jay at that point was like still not prepared to, especially after she did pass it on to Greg and then Greg got, got, um, I don't, I don't think she was prepared to, to use Paul as bait if she was already herself in danger. So I think from a character perspective, that's why that didn't yeah. happen. Although from a plot perspective would have been much easier. Um, yeah. But I would have liked to have a little more intentionality in the characters knowing why they're having sex and in that being communicated to the audience so that the audience knows that this is a decision they're making together, a decision that they're not taking lightly um and that it is this moment where where it's kind of like you can't run forever or you can run forever but you'll always have to be running but now I'm not alone yeah I also really like the scene directly after their coitus um where he turns to Paul turns to Jay and he's like do you feel any different? And she shakes her head and he turns, she turns to him and she says, do you? And he says, no. And I think that might've been when he lost his virginity. And I thought that was like an interesting, I feel like there's a lot of themes of that in that scene, like of like the weight that's placed on virginity and how like in reality, like you don't turn into a different person afterwards. Even when you're passing a sex demon from one person to another, (laughs) you're not going to feel any different afterwards. So I thought that was a fun, a fun moment. Um, Virginity is a social construct, et cetera. Yeah. 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 Um, But yeah, I, I mean, there are parts of this movie, like the, like we're just saying that I aren't my favorite, but I, I do love the ending of this. I love that they're, walking down the street hand in hand and neither of them turn around to look back as it's stalking them and then it's just over and you're just I know I was screaming at the tv turn the fuck around turn the fuck around and they won't turn back around and you'll never find out what happens and it's (laughs) just like maddening but I was like curse you director it was good (laughs) yeah 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 yeah. um I want to um talk about a larger theme within this movie in the context of an article that I read but before I do that I also want to really quickly just share some of the the quotes that they pepper throughout this movie in terms of like setting the scene for what the true horror is. Um, One of them is a line that I really liked in terms of like being a great piece of poetry um, from the poetry scene at school, but also a really good uh, thesis for for the movie, which is, um, and I'm sure it's from a real poem, but I don't know what it is. And I did not look it up. So you'll have to do that yourself if you'd like to know. Um, But the line is, should I, after tea and cakes and ices, have the strength to force the moment to its crisis, which again, beautiful poetry line. And then also has that, that theme of like, do you wait 
for the scary thing, the bad thing, the crisis to come to you? Or do you meet it head on? We see in the beginning, Annie decides to meet it head on. We see other characters trying to escape it. We see at the end, um, Paul and Jay are not necessarily waiting for it to come to them, but are but are simply moving forward together. And, and perhaps you could argue they're taking like a whatever happens, happens approach. Um, but there's another line. Um, let me see if I can find it in my notes. Um, there's a line at the end when their yard is in the hospital room um, after she was shot in the leg where she shares a story. I think it's called like The Idiot by Dostoyevsky or something like that. It said on IMDb, yeah, but that's not next to this part of my notes. Um, but but the takeaway the from that story amazing um the takeaway from that part of the story is that the most terrible agony is not dying but knowing that you are dying soon oh, I love that quote she reads in the hospital bed though I have it all right now and it's beautiful chef's kiss wait can I can I read the last quote because it's just so beautiful the one yes. that you're just talking about it said she says and for, old Dostoevsky says, <laughs> when there is torture, there is pain and wounds, physical agony, and all this distracts the mind from mental suffering so that one is tormented by the wounds until the moment of death. And the most terrible agony may not be in the wounds themselves, but in knowing for certain that within an hour, then within 10 minutes, then within half a minute, now at this very instant, your soul will leave your body and you will no longer be a person and that this is certain. The worst thing, the worst thing is that it is certain. Woo, feels gorgeous. Don't and also mind the- me as I have an existential crisis. <laughs> <laughs> the poem um, that, that I quoted earlier from the English class is T.S. Eliot's The Love Song of J. Alfred Prufrock. Um, it turns out I did have that in my notes. Um, so, so yeah, there's a lot of really great literary references here. There's a lot of really great cinematic references mm-hmm. here. Um, it, it is, it is beautiful. It's hard to argue that it's not a a beautiful movie. You know what I mean? No, it definitely is. And it's, um, you know, deeper than some of the films we've covered in the past and it's layered and there's all of this (laughs) like AP English literature woven in. So I, I told, I missed a bunch of that when I, when I first watched it. So it was cool to realized that was Dostoevsky not that I've read this that before I've never read that before (laughs) but this movie gives you a great little teaser of his work if you're interested um okay so just one one thing that I wanted to discuss before we get into our segments is kind of a larger metaphor and and theme from this movie um a lot of people talk about it as like, like we said, an, a sexually transmitted demon or a sex ghost, if you will. Um, and so sort of the obvious metaphor is um, an STD, but a lot of people also read it as about um, sexual assault and the trauma that you live with after an assault mm-hmm. um, and, and how that stays with you and how that paranoia stays with you and that mm-hmm. kind of um, awareness that you don't necessarily exist with the safety that you thought that you had in this world. Um, I also, before I want to talk about that more in depth, I want to say, I also think there's a lot of space for it to be um, an STD in the sense of the 
like an, an intentional infection, you know what I mean? Not just catching an STD, but someone intentionally inflicting harm on you in that same way, I think um, kind of is that same, that same malicious harm done, something maliciously done to your, to your body without your consent. Um, not just accidental, not I knew there was a risk, but I was I didn't care if you were exposed, but, but the intentional infection, I think can carry that same kind of weight and trauma. And I don't want to dismiss that, um, by saying, no, it's just this one thing. Um, but there's an article that I read on bloody disgusting by Brendan Morrow, um, titled it follows. It's not about STDs. It's about life as a sexual assault survivor. That's a really, really good read. Um, and that also talks about how it, this movie is, is, pretty good about victim blaming in the sense that it never by you know there's the trope in horror movies of like if you have sex you die only the virgin gets to live especially for final girls um and and we see that in like nightmare on elm street halloween um whether or not those were the messages the directors intended to put in those movies that's certainly Mm -hmm. the pop culture takeaway for a lot of people um and that's not the case here because um jay makes it at least to the end of the film, you know what I mean? And Jay was not a virgin going in and is certainly not a virgin by the end of the movie and neither is Paul. Um, And so it already inherently like takes away that step from if you behave this way, you're gonna get whatever happens to you, which is great. Um, But also I think it is a really powerful and potent metaphor for even though the, the sexual experience itself was consensual there was not an informed consent you know what I mean your your boundaries are still being violated in this way even if you thought you consented to what was happening you didn't have the ability to um and and just the way that it kind of reforms your your worldview and sticks with you I mean I can't speak to that from experience thank god um but I think that is something that people survivors talk about a lot. And I think it is, it is really well done um, in this movie. And it is a a conversation that is sort of delicately had. Um, And I think, I, I, I don't know, it seems like um, that has been powerful for people to see. And so, so I think that's great. No, I, I didn't read this article, but I, I, I've, I've heard that argument been made, like, just through the press from this movie. And, and that's why this movie is so sticking and so moving is because it really, people can see many of their own personal experiences in it, in the, that feeling of, of something following you for the rest of your life. Just that, that idea in and of itself. So... Yes. Yeah. That, but also in the sense of like, you can scan a crowd and not know who there is waiting to harm you. You know what I mean? Like you, mm-hmm. it, it's totally. not just that you have this trauma that you carry with you, but also that now you are forever on the lookout. Um, that I think is, uh, a, a some people who haven't experienced sexual assault, maybe don't understand that the, the, full weight of the repercussions um that and the full weight of the experience that comes with that um 
Uh, and so I think that is done, done really well. Um, but yeah, I just, I would recommend um, reading that article. If, if you like this movie, if you haven't really considered that perspective, I thought it was a good read. As a survivor myself, I like that, like that lens of seeing it that way. Like I read this article. I didn't, I didn't pick that up the first time I watched it. And then before uh, we were, when we decided we were going to do this movie, I started like reading more articles and like scouring the Reddit and all that kind of stuff, which is what I normally do. And I came across the exact same article that you did. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. And then watching it from that lens, you were like, fuck. Back. It is it is yeah. much more grim. Um, it is. Oh, <laughs> it's really? certainly yes, it more is. terrible. <laughs> it certainly sucks in a different way. Um, <laughs> but it is it is good. <laughs> anyway, how movies could be gayer. Um, there was one moment in this movie where I wrote gay in my notes, and then it turns out that Jay was not having a flirty moment with one of the other girls. She was, in fact, having an annoying sibling moment with her sister. Um, so I had to <laughs> take it back. Been um, there, honey. Been there with 47 meters down. So, <laughs> but yeah, how could this movie be gayer? Do you guys have any ideas? Because I don't right now <laughs> not with the cast of characters i mean they just have to like maybe jay yara's the one who's been pining after jay the, her whole life and then you can switch it that way that would have been fun but or um, yara and kelly are dating and cute. like paul is like cute. the fun third wheel of that little group <laughs> or Paul that... can be how I read him at the beginning which was gay I read him I was like oh it's the gay best yes. friend and then I was yeah. like, oh I frankly read it wrong <laughs> I read yeah, it I... very wrong <laughs> I read a lot of things wrong at the beginning I was like is this a group home like who are these people to each other I cannot understand well I was like who knows there's there's one adult that we see for five seconds maybe she's I don't know um but I caught on but yeah I think um, Kelly and Yara actually is very interesting to me because Yara got almost nothing to do in this movie other than read friend fiction on her little phone and get shot in the leg. You know what I mean? She just was there to drop some little, some There's quotes on you. Um, There's a term for what her character is. I took like a film class and it's just like the character that's just there to like about like things to make you think about the themes of the movie I don't know what it is I'll google it and we'll post it on Instagram I don't fucking know <laughs> she kind of fills the same narrative role as like Randy and Scream on in some sense where, yeah. where she's just meant to like reflect um the film back to the audience in a way that the audience can understand um so that that I think is is not a way that this movie could be getting <laughs> um but if, but as other movie talk, um, but yeah, I think Kelly and Yara would be cute. It you would not have to change literally anything in the plot whatsoever. Um, there's already space for it. It would give both of those characters a little more shine. I'm all on board for that. The only thing you would change is when Greg is like a little bit flirty with Kelly. Then like her and Yara could have been like, no, what the fuck? We're Leave us fucking. Alone. What? Yeah, this is like, not and I would have loved that little like tidbit you know mm -hmm. but okay we have to ask the question though where could Matthew Lillard fit into this film he and is I, from Michigan whoa. Uh. I wish that he was just one of the 
the the sex ghost iterations you mean like it's just like anyone that you've ever seen before oh yeah no yeah the dick out guy on the roof that would have been funny but like it would be hilarious (laughs) respectfully it would be hilarious though if like they would have made this more of a horror comedy um if like it could just be anyone you've ever seen before and it's so, like, like celebrities it could be, yeah it could be it really is Matthew Lillard they're like Selena is that Matthew Gomez Martin <laughs> Short but Steve Martin thing. Selena Gomez and Matthew Lillard are stalking you down <laughs> the, the street <laughs> if Matthew Lillard was like creepishly walking slowly at me I would have been immediately murdered I'd be like I would do it stop and stare yeah (laughs) I would have walked right up and been like hello sir and then he would have sucked out my whole face apparently and turned me into a gray ghost like what happens to Greg poor Greg um but yeah I really want that's that's the place for him he's uh, he could do a strutting walk like that I know he can Mm -hmm. I mean I think that a young Matthew Lillard could effectively portray a sympathetic Hugh slash Jeff. Um, I think he would be best suited to being one of the sex ghosts, but I also think it would be so distracting to have him as one of the sex ghosts. You know what I mean? It would, I think part of the, what's great about this movie is that while people in it have done other things, for the most part, you don't recognize anyone from anybody else. Mm. Like I have the Greg, he was in uh, an episode of Agents of Shield with Clark Greg, clear reference to what lies beneath. Um, and he also was in Don't Breathe, which I've seen, and I didn't recognize him. You know what I mean? I think he just looks enough like an, a guy, um, handsome, but like a normal guy. Um, mm-hmm. The atypical kid was the only one that I recognized. And even that is not, I think, a show that is so everywhere. I think something that was was great about this movie was for the most part that um nobody really stood out as like a celebrity figure drawing attention in that way and so I think Matthew Lillard in this movie would kind of take away you know what I mean Mm -hmm. yeah I like that about it it feels more real because you're like I've never seen any of these bitches before in my life and I love them now yeah that brings up oh Sydney would you like to do it yeah, I want to do it. Chelsea? Oh, excuse me. I saw you open your mouth, but my words were already coming out, and then I had to <laughs> suck them back in. Okay. So, a dumb bitch. A dumb Who bitch. Should it be? It's hard for this uh, one. Part of me wants to say, Greg, for not believing, you know, for the I'm, Glenn of it all. Yeah, like if you're not gonna, as somebody who's very adamant of like, you must believe me when I tell you something spooky is going on. As soon as Greg was like, eh, whatever. I was like, dumb bitch, you're gonna get killed. And he (laughs) did. And he did for being literally stupid. I was like the, the, all of the evidence was right in front of your fucking face. Like if it was just Jay who believed it, you know, he should still believe her. But we also got Yara and Kelly and Paul. They all saw everyone get eaten and a ghost pulled Jay's hair. Like, that's a lot of evidence there if you're not going to just believe the person in the first place. So you're an idiot. (laughs) I think that's the most, that's the most compelling point in Greg's favor. Because again, like I was saying earlier, I actually think if you don't believe, but you are willing to do what is within your power to help, that is like kind of kind in its own way you know what I mean um 
but I think that everybody else got on board and Greg was still so dismissive of it. That's dumb bitch behavior. I also dumb think um, I'm so inclined to say that Hugh is a dumb bitch because Hugh is doing this all so non-consensually. Um, but also Hugh has been so intentional and has come up with so many clever plans that I almost, I don't want to let him off the hook for what he does to Jay, but I, I want to let him off the dumb bitch hook. You know what I mean? Well, and also too, like he's a victim. He's a victim. Mm -hmm. And so while what he did was not cash money at all, (laughs) not chill, not cash money, (laughs) certainly not not cash money, money. really not cash money. Like he's still a victim and had to, you know, do something. Maybe do this twice, right? Like yeah. he's had to. Like he's clearly gone through it. So yeah. again, I think it is. What's his name? Greg. Greg. Yeah, Greg. I think it's gotta be Greg. It's gotta be Greg. Okay, well that brings us to our knives out of five. So Chelsea, set the scene. Let us know. I know this was a critical darling. So yes, what did they yeah, say? yeah, yeah. Um, well, I don't know what they they said in terms of quotes, but I can tell you that on Rotten Tomatoes, it follows has ninety five percent fresh from critics, which is pretty insane. Um, mm. And then comparatively from audiences, it has a still fresh rating, but much lower at 66% fresh. And then on IMDb, it has 6.8 out of 10. So audiences, for the most part, maybe didn't get it, or maybe they didn't like that it was so off the normal formula of like explaining to you what's going on and leaving you with clear answers and tying things up with a tidy bow or explicitly leaving space for a sequel. You know what I mean? It didn't Mm. quite do any of that. It kind of walked its own line. And while the actress has said that she would love to do a sequel, um, I think the the director's made pretty clear that that's not really a project he's interested in pursuing. so I do think that, that that leaves this film kind of in a limbo where I can see why a lot of audiences would be would would be like, it was good, but I'm not thrilled with it. Um, but where critics would say, it's actually really interesting that he did it in this way, that he constructed it in this way, that he gives you just this character's experience, just this character's knowledge, just this character's story. And that's all that you have and you have to live with it. And some sometimes the plans are stupid because sometimes kids are stupid and it's realistic to the characters rather than a, what an audience member is going to want from a film. Um, mm. and, and I think that is a really interesting and valid way of telling a story but also was it narratively satisfying you know what I mean I also think there's space to be like no not for me um for me personally I think that um I would watch it a second time now knowing the full scope of the movie and and being on more I don't think that there was like much that I didn't understand the first time around you know what I mean other than like I didn't get the setup in the beginning. And I think your idea for how Annie ties in is like really uh, great. And I love it. And I, I'm hundred percent accepting that now, whatever, anything else. Um, And that makes a lot more sense to me, but that aside, I don't think this is the kind of film where like you need a second viewing to understand the setup or the foreshadowing at all. 
Um, I think it kind of is giving it to you as you're going, but I do think that I would like to watch it a second time um, to better appreciate it. Um, that said, while I thought it was great and I thought it was really interesting, I, I didn't think it was like particularly scary in the moment and I didn't think it was particularly fun. Um, but I do think that it was good. So I'm like, I, I want to give it like four knives out of five, but it's not like super enthusiastic, to be honest. Fair, fair. Um, I, I love this movie because, you know, it's hard. I like to have a, I like to watch a movie. That's fun. And I have a good time. And I'm like, oh, ah, scary. Yeah, this one is not that. It's super not that. It's slow moving. It's atmospheric. There are some action scenes. There's bouncy balls slamming into windows. Big spooky. There's a leg that goes backwards. There's a sexy mom who attacks her son. There's lots of scary things that happen. But it's there's a lot of atmosphere in between. Um, but that said, I love I love that. I love the way it was shot. I loved how it was slow moving and it made you think. I love that there was this like I'll never remember the word for this film term, but like this woman who had a tiny, this little Yara with her little sh clamshell, like reading you thought provoking quotes throughout. Like it was so, um, it was very true to life because it was so slow moving and the actors looked like real people and all of that. But also it was like hyper real because there were these like poignant things being said, like to just point you in the right direction throughout. Um, I don't know. I feel like this is definitely like an art piece, this film, more so than some of the other films that we've watched. And so like it's not it's not the classic horror, but I, I really, really, really liked it. And um, even though that pool scene makes me want to punch myself in the face, um, I still want to give this a four point five out of five knives because they did something cool. They did something different. And I'm so fucking glad there's no sequel that would have ruined it <laughs> for me. Uh -oh. Jenny, what do you uh, think? Uh-oh. What? I'm giving this a 3.5 out of 5. That's fine. Um, this was my second time watching it, and I had a better time with it the first time. I don't know if it was because I was watching it with, like, a different setting or, like, just, I don't with know. With a friend? Like, I watched the second time with a friend, but, you know. That's true. Uh, I wasn't as interested and as invested in it this time and I was watching it a little bit more critically and I was just like I don't ever have to see this movie again yeah like, I think I've seen it twice I never have to see it again I think it's really a smart film I don't know that it's a film that sucks you in you know what I mean like the concept of of having to be on high alert for literally the rest of your life, knowing the like those quotes saying like, do you wait for death to come when you know that it is coming and you know that it is coming soon, but not this moment? Do you meet it head on? Do you try to save it off? Like, what do you do? Yeah. And I think that's a really interesting question to ask. But again, exactly. I don't know that this, this movie like grabs you in the same way that it is a, a a smart film and a question to ponder but I'm not gonna put it on at a party ever you know what I mean so I would put it on at a party like as 
background like with oh, no noise yeah, or yeah. Like, the I always play, like background horror, like that at all my Halloween parties I always put a horror movie on the screen and I turn the sound off and play like monster mash on repeat um and so this would be really good for that it would be great and right, I won't like, suck you in too much like when I played teeth and no one hung out at the party and they just watched teeth. You mean when, the I, party. when I was like, we should watch teeth and Monica was like, no. And I'm like, it'll be fun. And then everybody actually watched it. I even turned off the sound. I turned off the sound because no one was hanging out. And I turned on the Ghostbusters theme song and everyone still stayed. <laughs> fucking watched it with no sound while Ghostbusters was blasting because they were so riveted by it. God damn. Yeah. I I think if you put that one at your party <laughs> if you put this on silent at a party it's just like a very lovely atmospheric screensaver you know what i mean exactly yeah. it's a yeah. moving picture frame beautiful stunning adds to the atmosphere not a movie no but it's a movie in real life and i like it it, it is a movie it sure <laughs> is a movie and i and i also liked it but um the movie that we're doing next week is really a movie and is oh, really yeah. fun. Um, and we watched this uh, maybe about this time last year with our OG Spooky crew. Um, I'm not sure exactly when we watched it, but I'm so excited to to do it again and to really discuss it this time and not just be sending messages um, as we watch films. Although obviously I love when we do that. Um, but to really get into it, it is um, kind of from the scream era and was trying to be the next scream and for whatever reason it just like fell through the cracks of hollywood um but it is the faculty um yeah. and it is a really truly insane crazy 90s film with an equally stacked cast like i said really so was trying stacked. to be what scream was um but for some reason just didn't quite didn't didn't quite hit the same um and i'm i'm excited to revisit i'm excited to discuss um so that's what is coming up yeah so if you haven't seen it watch it because it's fucking worth it it's ready <laughs> so if you like what you heard why not rate us five stars on apple Podcasts? it'll really it'll be your mitzvah for the week so think about it also if you want more of all of this but on your phone Follow us at Spooky underscore Tuesday on Twitter, TikTok, Instagram. That's it. <laughs> and also we're Spooky Tuesday pod on Tumblr and Facebook. And we are populating all of our reviews on Letterboxd. So check us out there at Spooky Tuesday. Bye, Spookies. Bye. Spooky Tuesday was created by Monica Height, Sydney Thompson, and Chelsea Duff, and edited by Sydney Thompson. Our gorgeously spooky tunes are all thanks to Tamara Simons, who you can follow on Instagram at Captain Tamara, and our podcast art is by Mary Murphy, who you can find on Instagram at the underscore moon underscore omg. Do you feel any different? Do you?